afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Wanted to do something different, something a little unique. I guess this is something I wanted to experiment with for a while, and I was having trouble finding uh, the right topic, the right thing to to discuss, to throw out there, and it finally came along here in the last few weeks, and this has been rolling around in my head for oh, a week or so, and I was finally able to put everything together. I, I wanted to share my thoughts on Caitlin Clark and the change that has come about this game and what has happened to the women's game in the last six weeks uh, or so and and how this is, you know, in large part, this, is, this has changed basketball forever. Uh, it's something that I wrote up. Uh, this is not off the hip, and I hope you like it. Let me know how you feel about it. Hope you enjoy it. I call this the birth of an icon. You and I have heard it before. Basketball is like jazz. It's so hard to capture greatness, but when it flows and all comes together, it's a beautiful thing to watch, just like jazz is a beautiful thing to hear. The musicians, even the greats, can work a lifetime and only have a few moments of greatness that are captured on a recording or in a performance. And the same thing can be said about basketball. Players, the greats, can play a lifetime and not hit the ultimate level of greatness reserved for only the best ever. That out-of-a-body experience where the game is no longer a challenge and they dominate in such a way that they cannot be touched. Jordan, Bird, LeBron, and Kobe come to mind as icons, but we've really never included a woman in that conversation. And after the last five weeks, you have to add a new name to that list, and her name is Caitlin Clark. It's fitting that this player, who over the last month captured the attention of the entire sporting world, came from Iowa. To know how important girls' basketball is to Iowa, you have to know its history. Iowa is the birthplace of girls' basketball and always has put the girls' game as an equal to the boys. It goes back to the first girls' basketball state tournament held by any state in 1920, and it has run continuously for over 100 years. The golden age of Iowa girls' state tournament was must-see television in Iowa, and the state finals, with the pomp and circumstance of a presidential inauguration, was orchestrated by the girls' own athletic union, led by their maestro, E. Wayne Cooley. Teams had to win seven, eight, or sometimes even nine games just to get to the Sweet 16 at Veterans Memorial Auditorium, and the drama that it created could not be replicated anywhere else in high school sports. Most people associate the David versus Goliath story in high school basketball with Indiana's traditional all-class tournament, but the Iowa girls also played an all-class tournament since its inception. I can remember Lynn Lorenzen winning a state championship in 1987 from Ventura High School against Southeast Polk, whose student population was three times the size of the town of Ventura. Six years earlier, in 1981, Esterville, a town of around 6,500, knocked off Des Moines East in the title game. In 1983, Tiny Fairfield defeated Des Moines Hoover to cut down the nets. This, along with watching the exploits of other legends like Denise Long of Union Witten, Jan Jensen of Elkhorn Kimbleton, Jeanette Olson of Everly, and Connie Yori of Ankeny, created idols that were just as or more popular than any male basketball player in the state. It's hard to believe today, but some of these players would individually score 50, 60, or sometimes 70 points in a single game. A girl who averaged 30 points a game was considered pretty good, in large part because of the structure of the Iowa game. In Iowa, these legendary girls played a funny game, the six-on-six game. Three players on each side of the court, with all players limited to two dribbles per touch. The defense was automatically called for a foul, even if it attempted to reach in 
was another peculiarity of the game, as was inbounding the ball to commence the next possession after a make in the center circle. But the game was great, and more than anything else, it was ours, unique to our state. My dad was an official, and I remember him and his partners taking the ball and throwing the ball around the court like they were Tom Brady hitting receivers in seven-on-seven drills. Like most things, times change, and in the mid-80s, the bigger schools in the state started to play the five-on-five game to advance the game for the players and give them the same opportunities that players from around the country were afforded. The problem with the six-on-six game for many of the Iowa players was that once they entered the college game, they simply weren't used to playing the five-on-five game and struggled with the transition. Begrudgingly, smaller schools, slowly but surely, started to give in and thrusted the traditional Iowa game aside. By 1993, it was gone. Fast forward 25 years, and you started to hear rumors about a potential superstar honing her game in West Des Moines. Recruiting letters and scholarship offers began to come into this young woman, Caitlin Clark, and as her high school coach, Kristen Meyer, told me on a podcast a few weeks ago, one college coach told her that Caitlin was good enough to make their team a top 10 team when she was a freshman in high school. It should be appropriate that perhaps the most hyped female basketball player since perhaps Diana Taurasi should come from the state where they've been playing high school girls basketball longer than anywhere else. Spurning offers from all over the country from the traditional powers in the game, Clark chose to stay home. In 2021, with Clark averaging 26 points a game as a freshman, the Hawkeyes made it to the Sweet 16 before losing to UConn and Paige Beckers. Upset last season by Creighton in the round of 32, at home no less, Clark and the Hawkeyes took the world by storm this past season. The legend continued to grow as Iowa racked up win after win while Clark racked up statistical anomaly after statistical anomaly hitting the game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer against Indiana to finish the regular season, only heightened the frenzy. But no one could have had any idea what was to come over the next five weeks. You know the highlights by now. Clark and her teammates, headlined by 2,000-point scorer Monica Zazano and supported by McKenna Warnock, Gabby Marshall, and Kate Martin, first dominated the Big Ten tournament, including an incredible 105-72 drilling of Ohio State in the title tilt. Victories over southeastern Louisiana, Georgia, and Colorado set up the chance to go somewhere that the Hawkeyes hadn't been since 1993, the Final Four. To ensure a 97-83 win to cut down the nets and head to Dallas with an Elite Eight victory over the talented Haley Van Lith in Louisville, all Clark did was register the first 40-point triple-double in NCAA history for either men or women. It was a performance for the ages for a player who was on a run for the ages. The reward for getting to the Final Four was a showdown with Aaliyah Boston and defending national champion South Carolina, who was riding a 42-game winning streak. Clark followed up her triple-double with a slightly diminished performance of 41 points, 6 rebounds, and 8 assists to lead Iowa to the 77-73 upset. The dream of the birthplace of girls' basketball was within reach, a national championship at the highest level for a school from Iowa. Of course, Kim Mulkey and her group of LSU Tigers would have something to say about it, and for the first 20 minutes of the title tilt, they could not miss. It was the first time in a month that Clark's mastery of the game wasn't going to be enough, and LSU was dominant from start to finish, taking home a championship in Kim Mulkey's second season on the Bayou. I'm not sure if LSU was the better team, but they were the better team Sunday. Every championship game has a life of its own, 
and the buildup to this game was nothing like we've ever seen before in the women's game. Almost 10 million people were tuned into this game, and there's a good chance that we look back on this game as the women's Magic versus Birds seismic event. Unfortunately, instead of talking about the game afterwards, the focus shifted away from what should have been celebrated, which was a magnificent performance by LSU. For the first 39 minutes of the game, the officiating was discussed as much or more than LSU's great shooting. The officiating, to put it generously, was inconsistent for both teams, and both benches were frustrated by both calls and no calls. Iowa fans upset with Clark's technical foul for, as it was explained afterwards, a delay of game, were equally as frustrated with Coach Mulkey not being teed up for her sideline demeanor. Both teams fought foul trouble, but ultimately the game came down in the end to low-volume shooters from LSU hitting shots that they hadn't hit all season at that volume. Sometimes basketball is really simple. If you hit more shots, especially three-point shots, than your opponent, regardless of everything else that may have transpired, you win in the end. And then there was the end which has unfortunately stolen the show from both LSU's hot shooting and the officiating. Angel Reese, the talented All-American forward for LSU, was seen by many as being overly aggressive towards Clark and her teammates as the final seconds ticked off the clock. A good percentage of people believed Reese had stepped over the line from trash-talking to taunting. Reese, who played Clark for two years in the Big Ten at Maryland before transferring to LSU, was seen to have said to Clark, We're no one-man show gave her the John Cena, you can't see me, and proudly displayed her ring finger where her championship ring will rest. Some will see it as taunting, especially with the way Reese seemed to follow Clark around the floor in the final seconds. Others would simply call it trash talk. In my opinion, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Reese, for her part, was unapologetic after the game, and you could tell that there had been some resentment towards the attention that Clark had received from the media by both herself and her teammates. All year, I was critiqued about who I was. Nobody, I don't, the narrative, I don't fit the narrative. I don't fit in the box that y'all want me to be in. I'm too hood, I'm too ghetto. Y'all told me that all year. But when other people do it, y'all don't say nothing. So this was for the girls that look like me, that's going to speak up on what they, they believe in. It's unapologetically you. Clark, for her part, seemed unfazed by the situation. You know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're all competitive. We all show our emotions in a different way. You know, Angel's a tremendous, tremendous player. I have nothing but respect for her. Um, I love her game. The way she rebounds the ball, scores the ball is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of her and even the entire LSU team. Um, you know, like I said, they played an amazing game. So, um, you know, I don't think there should be any criticism for what she did. Um, you know, I honestly didn't see it when the game was going on. And like I said, I haven't been on social media really at all. I'm just trying to reflect back on, you know, what this team did and enjoy every single second with my teammates because, you know, we have two really good seniors that are moving on from our team that have given a lot. And, you know, they've been some of my best friends, you know, while I've been here at, at the University of Iowa. So, I'm just lucky enough that, you know, I got to play on that stage and have that opportunity with them. And um, I believe I got to play. I get to play for one of the best coaches of all time and Coach Bluter. And uh, she believes in me more than anybody ever has. So, um, you know, I'm just more than anything lucky. When it comes down to it, you can't vilify Reese while in the same breath praise Clark for what amounts to much of the same behavior in the end. Both women are talented. Both are confident. And both are going to stand their ground, not only for themselves, but for their teammates. As Reese was criticized for her actions, 
lest we remember that Clark was praised for being confident by many for her John Cena, You Can't See Me, against Louisville, and her haughty wave of derision towards South Carolina's Raven Johnson in the semifinal that was replayed over and over again. Hell, even I retweeted it. She was restrained by both teammates and coaches for her chiding of officials for calls that she did not like on multiple occasions throughout the tournament. If you're going to call Caitlin Clark competitive, confident, and tough-minded for those attributes and actions, you have to do the same for Angel Reese. They're both right for being so confident. It's what made Caitlin Clark into the best player in the nation, and it's what helped Angel Reese's team raise the national championship trophy late Sunday afternoon. I also think that if we dug a little deeper, we'd probably find that Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark are a lot more alike than different. So perhaps the greater goal that we should have is that both of these young women channel that confidence in a better way. And oh, by the way, isn't this how great rivalries are born? Maybe, in the end, this will be better for the game. I have a sneaky suspicion we may see an Iowa-LSU rematch pop up on the schedule next season. Just call it a hunch. There's national champions crowned every year, but icons, game changers, don't come along every day. As an example, the Fab Five didn't win a national championship while they were at Michigan, but they are an iconic group of players that changed the game forever. To me, that's what happened over the last month with Caitlin Clark. Now let me be clear. I don't want to diminish in any way what LSU did by winning a national championship because they had an incredible run. Whether you like her or not, you cannot deny that Kim Mulkey is a tremendous basketball coach, motivator, and competitor. Nor can you deny the tenacity and toughness of Angel Reese and her teammates. They are champions, and it wasn't a fluke. I don't want to diminish what South Carolina did by winning 42 games in a row. That's an incredible feat, and Don Staley's team was as dominant this season as the greatest teams that schools like UConn, Tennessee, and Stanford have ever brought to the final weekend. They were that good, and if you play this Final Four ten times, South Carolina probably wins eight or nine times. That's the magic of the tournament. One bad game and it's over, for better or worse. Unfortunately for Staley's crew, this weekend was not one of those eight or nine times. I don't want to diminish the fact that Virginia Tech made a Final Four for the first time in school history. Bursting through that first time is sometimes the hardest step. Kenny Brooks has built a sustainable winner in Blacksburg, and they will be heard from again. Nor should we forget about the other great players that played this season. In Iowa, it's sad that somehow we've forgotten that Ashley Jones finished her career with over 3,000 points, and she sits ninth all-time in Division I history while being a tremendous representative of the Iowa State program. Maddie Segrist averaged almost 30 points a game for Villanova and will be an outstanding professional. Miami beat Indiana and Ole Miss beat Stanford in the round of 32, the first time that two number one seeds have been knocked out of the tournament before the Sweet 16 in tournament history. The women's game is changing, and it's changing for the better. When it comes down to it, though, the biggest reason for that change resides in Iowa City, Iowa. For the first time, Television ratings for the women's game were outpacing both the men's tournament and the NBA, and there's one reason for that. NBA players and celebrities alike were commenting on the women's basketball at a level and knowledge that had never been seen before, and there's one reason for that. Young girls have seen someone like them doing things with the basketball that has never been done before by a woman, and I would hope and anticipate that we'll see a number of girls playing basketball increasing in the coming years. And there's one reason for that. The last few weeks, many pundits have been trying to compare Caitlin Clark to the legends of the game. She's the female Steph Curry, the way she stops and shoots on the dime. 
She passes like Larry Bird, and she makes the game so easy for her teammates. She has the showmanship of Pistol Pete Maravich, and she does things with the ball no woman has ever done before. All that may be true, but here's my thought. Why don't we just let Caitlin Clark be the first of what we hope to be a long line of Caitlin Clarks? Why does she need to be like a guy? Instead of trying to compare her to a male basketball player, why don't we just let her speak for the women's game and continue to change it like all icons do?